employment agreement and what's being swung to the side of the deal that they don't get, uh, they, they don't get economics out of as investors. So that's usually a, a friction point that comes up um, that you have to be very careful with. And then treatment of options, contribution, acceleration, all these things. I mean, you essentially accelerate everybody that's been active and you want to do the right thing there and make sure that everybody uh, gets part of the economics. Um, I, I think I'd leave it at that level of detail on my side. Uh, Brian, Natasha, anything to add on management carve-outs and whether that's a seller's problem, buyer's problem, uh, uh, and, and what you're seeing in terms of acceleration or, or equity roles at this point? Some, uh, equity I, roles, some of the equity roles you have, you've set aside uh, an incentive pool also for the other employees that are not the founders or the key employees, but individuals that you want to stay for a little bit longer. So making sure that something is set aside for them to incentivize them to continue to work on. So a lot of the things um, dealing with, you know, uh, management carve outs, that's focusing more on the founders, but the other key employees that you want to have around for some time, you want to make sure that you're also incentivizing their, their needs. And that can be done by putting aside stock for them or some type of restricted stock in the new company or wherever they're going. Yeah, I, I've seen that uh, in the last 10 years, some just very interesting and highly structured ways to incentivize employees. And, and I've seen sellers uh, sharing the wealth uh, and doing that as part of the sale proceeds. And I've seen buyers do that as part of a new uh, equity program or cash bonus plan. And, and uh, I think it's a great tool that um, lawyers should introduce to help parties bridge the gap. And, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to, to be involved in transactions where people are, are far apart because you know, we as lawyers have the opportunity to really add value and, and bring people together. Um, and, and I think Vitaly, you do a great job of that as well in your role as a banker. Um, I, I know we have just a lot of questions uh, in the backlog and we're just past the top of the hour. And so uh, Vitaly, I wonder if you wanted to um, you know, take us through those or, um, or, or whether we should hit some more tips and tricks here. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we probably covered a lot through the conversation here and some things we should take offline. I would say that for those folks that are jumping off because there's top of the hour is, you know, here's our contact information and you should definitely reach out. I think the biggest takeaway I would say for all of this is make sure you have the right counsel around you. Uh, certainly there are a lot of things that you should understand if you're a founder looking at, at uh, selling your company, but understand that it's likely you're doing it for the first time. If you're on this webcast, very likely. Um, and the folks that you're dealing with on the other side of the table, it's their job. They are corp dev. It's their full-time job. It's their full-time career. It's like playing, you know, a five-year-old playing chess against a grandmaster. So um, you need, you need uh, proper, you know, advisors around you to help you structure a deal that's not going to blow up in your face. Uh, very often founders are, um, you know, they have all their eggs in one basket they're uh, overweight in their personal portfolio into one private company that they've been working on for many years. And um, this is a lot of risk for you to take on. If you're an investor and you have a portfolio of, of companies, you understand that most of them are not going to do well, but some of them are going to do great. Um, as a founder, you don't really have that choice. I've been on that side for 16 years with three, di three different companies on my own, and I can tell you what the risks are. So that would be my takeaway is make sure that you have good counsel around you you have people that know what they're doing and have the experience that are your advocates in the transaction, bankers, lawyers, et cetera. So uh, with that, maybe we uh, cover some, some more Q&A for those that are sticking around. 
Vitaly, thank you for that. I just wanted to add one, one point on selecting a banker as, as I had a conversation with a founder just yesterday about that. And I always recommend to, to founders that they pick somebody that they're comfortable with and whether in any advising relationship. But in terms of banker especially, you wanna be looking for somebody who knows your space, who knows the players and the ecosystem and who is going to hustle on your behalf. Um, the worst thing I, I see is, uh, is oftentimes uh, advisors get signed up and they lose their enthusiasm and they don't really work so hard for, uh, to, to, to drive for a transaction. And, and, and so you don't get fully marketed and that, that the, the best possible price. And, and so um, that's my recommendation uh, always when selecting advisors is people that you connect with and that are really going to hustle for you. Um, Vitaly, let's hit the Q&A. Louie, just to throw in on that, um, and it's not just to get you to signing a term sheet. The best bankers, they hold your hand to the end. They're, they're there with you. Um, and uh, you know, Vitaly is the kind of guy that earns his keep. Yeah, you, you got to manage the lawyers, you know. Somebody's got to manage the lawyers. <laughs> so right. right. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Um, so first of all, you know, one important question for everybody. Yes, I think the slides will be available. The recording will be available. Um, so that's important. And um, I think something we didn't cover is um, board, you know, board finesse, right? So the first question is, please discuss how boards finesse their fiduciary duty to the shareholders while considering exclusivity. Um, but I think if we kind of broaden that question on kind of what's the board's role in, in all of this and, and how does this work? Uh, who drives the process and what approvals have to be done at the board level? Well, in acquisition, this is the ultimate transaction for the company. So Louis, maybe you want to take that direction? Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start off by saying uh, directors have a fiduciary duty when a company is for sale to get the best possible price for all holders, uh, which means that it's not just for the preferred directors, but also for the common. And, and there's often the circumstance where, uh, especially in today's uh, distressed time, where a preferred stack of liquidation preference is larger than, uh, the, uh, than the, the sale price of the company and there's nothing left over for the common. And so how can the board uh, do their fiduciary duty for all holders uh, if they're going to get zero for the common? And typically, you know, a way to do that is to uh, have a management carve-out plan to incentivize management to bring a company all the way across the finish line to closing, number one. And two, to reserve another portion of the purchase price uh, for non-management common stockholders. And, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount, uh, but that's one way I see uh, um, board members finesse uh, that obligation. I would back up a step and say, if you're not for sale, you have no duty to listen to any uh, offers to sell your company or, or negotiate with anyone. Uh, but once you do declare that you're for sale and, and you engage an investment banker and you've got a process going, you, you do have a duty. Um, and as to how do you know when it's okay to, to, to go exclusive, there I think it's it, your, your banker's advice that they've done a market check, they've talked to the ecosystem players, and they, they believe that it's the, the best price that they're going to be able to find, number one. And then number two, it's looking at the financial analysis that they provide to you that the, uh, the value that the, the price being paid is worth more than the discounted cash flows. It's worth uh, more than comparable uh, transactions. 
uh, and it's worth more than uh, you know the trading price of of companies in the market. And so those are kind of the traditional metrics of enterprise value um, uh, that that people like Vitaly can demonstrate uh, as your financial advisor and and help you know that you've complete you've complied with your fiduciary duties. Two more things: um, you should have an indemnification agreement from your company. And when I join as an advisor to a company, the first thing I do is make sure that my directors and officers have indemnification agreements and that the charter and bylaws specify that so that they're not in harm's way. And two is I make sure that there's an insurance policy to back that up. Uh, and that's a special insurance policy for uh, directors and officers' liability. It's affordable and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that you absolutely should have in place if you're a director or an officer of even a private company. And even you know, as soon as they raise their first round of financing, that, that really should be in place. Very good point. Um, so Brian, unless you have something to add, <clears throat> maybe we'll hit the next one. Um, I think it's, it's, it's good to cover. There's several questions that are poking around kind of the structure and, um, you know, when you're buying a license without the assets and liabilities, maybe I can kind of kick that off a little bit and, and see what you guys want to add. And we lost Natasha, um, at the top of the hour there. Um, so, when there are, there are a few different ways to do this. Um, if you are a buyer and really what you're after is a couple of assets in the company, you don't really need the team, you don't really need the brand and you just want access to the tech, then it's going to behoove you to try to just do a license deal or just to do an asset purchase. Of course, for the seller, you know, it's like you, you've built your aftermarket car with all these bells and whistles and then somebody just wants to come and get the tires. Um, you're pretty much done, you know, at that point. But in a lot of cases, let's, let's face it, in this type of environment, uh, for a lot of startups, that's their kind of landing on the roof. That's, that's some way for them to return some capital um, for the founders to get some economics and maybe get an attractive job offer from the acquirer for a while uh, while they recoup and, and plan their next, uh, their next battle, their next startup. And you know, they can return some capital to their investors. And that's always a nice thing to do. Uh, if you want to keep the relationship. Uh, one thing too, as I'll mention is in most cases, probably 99% of the time, unless you're like, this is your last startup and you're going to retire, you want to keep relationships with everybody that's been helpful along the way. Um, and, and you want to do the right thing. So even if 